Praise God. I think Mary probably looked at my little preamble crib sheet as well, uh, because I was going to share along similar lines. And I really believe that this weekend could be quite a pivotal weekend for many of us. I think for all of us as a church, but particularly as individuals, I believe the Lord's going to put his, his finger on and his heart on certain issues in your life and my life for us to move through and allow him to deal with so that he will be more Lord of your life. He's your savior, he is your Lord, but he wants to take over and become even more Lord of our lives. And we sang one of the first songs, you know, about welcoming the Holy Spirit to come and change the atmosphere. I don't know about you, but there's a changing in an atmosphere. I sensed it when we came in this morning. There was a, a buzz, an excitement. There was something in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And, and I've been kind of battling through the night. I had a good sleep, but I had a couple of demonic dreams, and I really sensed as if the enemy didn't really want what was going to happen, what is happening over this weekend to happen in lives. And I battled through, and I was praying this morning, and I believe that we are breaking this atmosphere, this ugly atmosphere, to allow the atmosphere of the Spirit to come and touch hearts and break us open. And, and it reminded me, I don't know if you, you remember that film, Memphis Bell. Can anyone remember that World War II film, Memphis Bell? It was a story of the Allies going to bomb some area over in Germany. And yet there was lots of cloud cover. And they went over time and again to drop their bombs on a particular target, but they couldn't see it because of the cloud cover. But then after the, the, the second or third attempt, the clouds disappeared and they could see this window and they dropped their bombs and blew up the target. And it reminded me that there's an open heaven waiting to bless us, to drop the spiritual bombs of love into our hearts, to destroy the ugliness of sin and the ugliness of wounds and self and so on and set us free. But God is wanting that atmosphere to break so that he can target those issues in our lives. And the question is, are you, am I willing to allow God to clear the things in our lives so that that window of light comes over us and into our hearts and starts to do something quite wonderful and dramatic in our lives? And in my little morning reading, <clears throat> I had this scripture this morning and I thought, I'm just going to read these couple of verses. It's 2 Corinthians 6. So then we are working with God, sorry, since then we are working with God. We plead with you not to accept God's grace in vain. For he says, at the right time I heard you and on the day of salvation I helped you. Listen, now is really the right time. Now is the day of salvation. And I believe that today is a day of salvation. Not so much from hell, because by the grace of God we're saved from hell by the, the blood of Jesus, but to be saved more from the power of sin. The sin that besets us, the sin that traps us into what I've got. And it hasn't appeared yet on the screen. Here it comes. Uh, the message today, life on the unknown path, I've called it, breaking out of old creation mindsets. God wants to cause those old creation mindsets which are conditioned and formed and fashioned by some things that have happened maybe in the past with our upbringing, with, with experiences negatively, with peer groups and so on. These things cause us to have old mindsets that are like the clouds that prevent this window from focusing on your heart. And God wants to blast those clouds away today so that you can be targeted 
Get, th- get that in your head. God is wanting to target your heart tonight, today. He wants to target it to such an extent that those issues inside of you, which Mary shared about earlier, are going to be sorted. They're going to be blown up, as it were, so that God can become even more Lord of your life. Isn't that an amazing thought? So we need to be preparing our hearts for the first few steps of the new path. And you know, only those who are prepared, as Stephen reminded us yesterday, to have their minds renewed can tread on this path. And this is the scripture, of course, that he used. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting then, isn't it? In other words, unless we're willing to be transformed in our thinking, our mindsets, we're never going to really discern and test and approve what God's will is. And we'll be taken off in the imagination of our hearts. And there's a scripture in Luke chapter 1 where Mary is praying and she says in her prayer, the proud he has scattered in the imagination of their hearts. And you know when I read that years ago, it really hit me hard. And I thought, if I've got any pride in my heart, it's going to be the very reason that I can never discern the will of God. Because that's not a mindset that God can work with. In fact, the other scripture says, God has opposed the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we need, we'll be focusing on pride in a moment, but we need to see that if we've got traces of pride in our hearts, They are symptomatic of an old mindset, an old creation mindset, because pride comes from independence. And anyone who's independent can't be of God, because Jesus even said, apart from me, you can do nothing, he says in, in John 15. And then he says in John 5, you know, I can do nothing unless the Father shows me and tells me. He lived with total codependency upon God. But pride is the opposite to that. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I don't need my brothers and sisters. I just need my opinions. We need to allow the bombs when the window of heaven is over you to destroy that type of mindset so that we can be totally set free. So what does it look like? Here's contrasting the fruit of a carnal versus a renewed mind. I always like to give us kind of tests so we can't wriggle out of it, you know? Here we go. A carnal mindset, and we can all identify with this stuff. And listen, guys and girls, be real this morning. Amen? If this touches your heart, don't just go, oh, that's just the preacher. Oh, I can can play frisbee golf later. That's okay. Let's allow it to touch and burn and blow up something inside of us so that we can be really, truly set on fire. Because when God touches your heart, you're going to be set on fire. But fire consumes and burns brightly yeah let him consume so you can burn brightly so here we go calculated reserved suspicious is something going ping 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 in your heart right now if it is allow it allow the the conviction 
to start to work in your heart. A renewed mind is warm, serving, has an open demeanor, not a closed demeanor. What are you saying? Do you really mean that? Oh, I don't know about this. I'm a little suspicious there, you know? There's the difference between the renewed mind and the carnal mind. A carnal mind given to emotional ups and downs. Sorry. <laughs> Many of us given to ups and downs in our emotions, aren't we? That's because we trust a carnal mind. And maybe it's coming from some old creation strongholds that God needs to deal with. And I totally understand that. And we're going to allow for ministry for that later. But if you're given to ups and downs emotionally, you've not got a fully renewed mind. God wants to do a gracious, loving, healing work to set you free. Because a renewed mind is emotionally balanced. Carnal-mindedness, inconsistent, unreliable, moody. Tick, tick, tick. Renewed mind endures with joy and tenacity, no matter what happens. Joy doesn't depend on happenings, which produces happiness. But joy depends on Jesus and linked to him and receiving strength because we are dependently connected to him in grace. Often play with sinful thoughts. That's another characteristic of the carnal mind. The renewed mind, thought life is harnessed. Not perfect. Yes, we get our temptations. Yes, we think things. We think, oh, but instantly we dismiss it. We say, no, in Jesus' name. Lord, grace, please. And we go for it. Rather than passively playing along with it. <clears throat> Biblically opinionated or unsure. What? That's a carnal mind? Biblically opinionated? Surely it's not. Yes, it is. Because if you're puffed up with lots of knowledge about the Bible, and you can quote this scripture and that, and have this doctrine rattled off, and this doctrine rattled off, then that's coming from another root. It's not coming from a root of a renewed mind. It's coming from a root of pride. Alternatively, you may not ever read the Bible, so you're completely unsure. So the Bible doesn't read you, and the Bible doesn't speak through your life. These are all indications of a carnal mind. Biblically but meekly well-informed. See the difference? It's coming from a place of meekness. And so it's open to reason. There's a tolerance there, but a surety in that tolerance. There's a sweet grace that brings conviction that changes and transforms. Pray but lean on my own understanding. That's a carnal mind. Revelation of spirit codependence. I mentioned that earlier, didn't I? You know, the word codependence is something that we sometimes shrink from, think, oh, we should be codependent. And no, we shouldn't on other people in, in a, a kind of a, a desperate sort of way, an insecure sort of way. But we are to be codependent on Jesus. Guys, I'm losing some of you. Don't forget, I'm a teacher. I can tell when people are not concentrating. <clears throat> so let's tune in, okay? Codependency is a good thing when we are codependent on Jesus. Would you say amen to that? We need, I know the scripture, that song, I need you every hour. I need you, oh, I need you, yeah? And that's where we are to be, codependent on Jesus. And as we are codependent on him, so when he speaks to us, we can act upon that for his glory. Spectator, too dignified. That's the carnal mind. 
Mm, I'll come and watch. Yes, I'll give up a weekend to come to a conference like this, but I'm just a spectator. I'll just evaluate what they're doing and saying. I'm opinionated in these matters. That's a carnal mind. Worships deeply and gratefully. Did you love our worship leader? What was it? Is it Jill, is it? Jill? Yeah. She's great, wasn't she? She wasn't very dignified, is she? Dancing about, you know. <laughs> because she was on fire for Jesus. She's got a renewed mind. She doesn't care about what people think. She just goes for it. And so we've got to lose all this carnal-mindedness if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and walk on this unknown path. Because this unknown path doesn't depend on man's ability. It depends on Jesus' enablement in our, in our lives. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> the Lord showed me this picture a long time ago when I was trying to grow. And I've called it the pathway to growth. And it's the brokenness of the cross that brings true growth, that destroys the carnal-mindedness, that lifts us into a place of the renewed mind. Because, you see, the other thing that is dangerous is if we say, okay, thank you, Martin. I don't want that carnal-mindedness. I want to be a renewed mind. What will can I use to get into this now? And we can become so volitional and so kind of driven that we're going to, be, we're going to put on the best show we possibly can to convince everybody I've got a renewed mind. Don't work like that. That's being religious. It only comes out of brokenness. It's only Jesus can give you a renewed mind. It's only Jesus can change your old creation mindsets into new creation mindsets. It's coming to the end of ourselves. There's nothing within me that can whip up a renewed mind. And there's something good about that, isn't it? There's something, oh, thank you, Lord, about that. Because a lot of us can't whip up much anyway. Praise God that you can't. You're halfway there. For those of us who've been educated and a little bit sanguine and choleric in our temperament, it's a bit more of a difficult job because we are drivers. We are going for it, people. We can do. I love can-do people. But there's a danger in being can-do all the time because you miss out on the very essence of growth, which is brokenness. And here we've got a series of levels in my little diagram here that God is taking us to. Which level do we want to get to? The top level, Yes. We have to start at the bottom. And we get to that growth level one by brokenness, by embracing the cross, by doing what, we, what it took to get us born again in the first place, and that is repentance and coming to the end of ourselves. And then Jesus, by his amazing, wonderful love and grace, poured his salvation into our hearts and brought us from the pit of despair and the pit of our sinfulness and the pit of our condemnation and put us on a rock and caused us to be born again. Amen? That's how we got to level one. So when you get to level two, you have to go down again. <laughs> you have to go to the foot of the cross again. You have to humble yourself again. You have to empty yourself again. You have to stop making the excuses and all the other strivings that we do to get to growth level two and grab hold of the cross. Lord, only you. I can do nothing apart from you, but in you I can do all things because you are my strength. Then he pulls us up onto level two by the cross. And so we go on. We have to come down in order to get a growth level three. And down in order to go to growth level four. And that's how he works. That's how we grow. That's how we get a renewed mind. That's how we change our old creation mindsets. That's how we break out to break through. Problem is, 
we make ladders to go from growth level one to growth level two. The danger of man-made ladders of growth, I call it. What are being about? Dead works of being more religious. Bolting on what worked in another church. Human passion and motivation. All those things are like ladders that try to get us to grow without using the cross. And whenever we bypass the cross, we get into deception. Whenever we bypass the cross, it's man-made, not God-made. And God wants us to get to our next levels as a church and as individuals by not forming a ladder, by breaking our ladders, as it were, and allowing the cross to lift us up. Because whenever we put a ladder in, it blots out the cross. Can you see that? Let me see if there's another click on it. No, there's not. Okay. So I want us to look at the dead works of being more religious. You see, in um, Hebrews 6, the writer says there that let's try and pass on from the elementary doctrines, one of being repentance from dead works. Now, what's a dead work? It's a work that looks looks right and Christian and religious, but it's not necessarily orchestrated by God. In fact, somebody once said, fancy making apple pie for God all your life, only to find when you get to heaven that God didn't like apple pie. And some people make apple pie for God all their lives, whatever the apple pie refers to. It can be anything. It can be preaching. It can be playing a musical instrument for God when you're living in sin. It can be doing anything. We can all put on a show, can't we? There's a bit of a a dramatist in all of us. But if it's not coming from God, guess what? It's a dead work. And dead works will never get you to the next level. In fact, dead works will take you downwards. You'll get scattered by dead works because they're coming from another source, which is pride, as we'll see. Bolting on what worked in another church, that's a temptation for leadership, isn't it? They worked there. It was great ideas. They've got a fantastic website. Let's bolt it on to ours. No, we've got to know what God is saying. That's what I love about the leadership here is that they just don't bolt anything on. They want to see God first. They want to hear from God, and then they'll start to move in that direction. Human passion, motivation, we covered that before, didn't we? So anything of our old creation flesh cannot flourish on the unknown path. It just has to die if Jesus is to be Lord. This is a lovely scripture here. Luke 16, 16. How prepared am I to do some kingdom violence today? The law and the prophets were until John. From that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and every man enters violently into it. You see, there's a time for violence. And when we are moving to another level, we've got to allow the cross, which is a very violent instrument, to do some violence in our hearts, to destroy that which God is destroying. And so we're going to look next at the... uh, Scriptures here, what will I choose today? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So which are we going to do? Are we going to set our minds on the flesh and refuse to allow this bomb to go off in our lives? Or are we going to set our minds on the spirit and soar with God and be on fire for Jesus and be those who other people come and watch burn? Amen? I think as it was Wesley said, 
he said, all I do is get set on fire for Jesus and other people come and watch me burn. And that's what happens. That's the attractional church that we want. People coming to say, wow, look at these people. They got something because they're on fire for Jesus. You'll never get on fire for Jesus if you don't put the flesh to death. What is the flesh? Here we go. We've seen this before. It's one of my first preachers at SCF. I thought I'd just bring it up again. There are four expressions of flesh in the Bible, as I can discern it. Sin is an obvious one. The success rate of conquering on our own is quite high because we can repent, and that's how we do it. Look, repent and have grace by faith. We're not going to focus on sin today, but if you're aware of sin, then come to a place of repentance. Get someone to pray with you later to destroy that, that sin, which is an element of flesh. Selfishness is another one. The success rate of conquering the loan is medium. Remember, we looked at that. And a similar way, repentance, grace by faith, and discipleship will enable you to get rid of your selfishnesses. But if we like our selfishnesses, if we defend our selfishnesses, if we say, this is what I believe, and it's your opinion, you can stuff it because I'm going to keep what I think, then we'll always keep it. We need discipleship. But it's these last two I want to focus on. Self-righteous prides and judgments which is difficult to conquer on your own and needs deep discipleship and wounds that cause negative beliefs, which is very difficult to do, deal with on our own and needs special ministry to create a truth encounter. So we need to break out of these pride-based judgments and these inner wounds that cause negative beliefs so that we develop this renewed mind. So how do we break out of the unrenewed mind roadblocks of pride? Now, Scripture teaches us that relationship contentions in a family, in a church, or an organization often come from the root of pride in our hearts because pride has very real limitations. In fact, Scripture here in Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride comes contentions. Only by pride. So if you have contentions in your family, in your marriage, in your family life, if you have contentions in your church relationships, if you have contentions in your wider family or your workplace, it's coming from a root of pride. And it's easy to say, yes, it's pride in them. In them. But guys, if you keep saying that, you'll never, never see the light. You'll never have a renewed mind. You'll never be able to discern the will of God. We have to own up and say, it's pride in me. It's pride in me. You see, at its core, pride is self-centeredness. And it deceives us into believing that our self-worth is measured by what people or ourselves say or think about us rather than what God and his words say about us. And it becomes a blockage between us and God. So if you believe yourself and your own view of yourself, rather than what God says, or your closest brothers and sisters who've got a great heart towards you, then you're engaging in pride. And you're going to be deceived. And the pride will be scattered in the imagination of their hearts. Pride blinds us to the truth and gives us good, in inverted commas, reasons and excuses why we can honorably, in inverted commas, justify our limiting belief fears, behavior, habits, outbursts, offenses, etc. 
He convinces us that we are right in blaming other people, our past, our upbringing, etc., for the way we feel. In such a way, we display a trust in something on the inside, someone other than God, and usually ourselves. And it creates dualistic thinking. What is dualistic thinking? Jesus is Lord of some things, but he's not Lord of these things. That's what dualistic thinking is. In this area, yeah, he can be Lord when it comes to doing the, the, the thing, you know, reading my Bible and coming to church and singing the songs and saying the right words with certain measures of passion. He can be Lord of those areas, but in these areas, my relationships, my opinions, my family, my beliefs, my doctrinal position and so on, no, he's not Lord of those things. I think he is, but he's not really because there's something comes out of me in response to that which reveals it's not of God. That's pride. And pride that leads to this dualistic thinking can take many different forms. Here's the different expressions of pride, and you're going to be shocked by some of them. You'll all be amening to this type of pride, arrogance, haughtiness, judging, anger, being puffed up. We all say, absolutely, yeah, we don't like people like that, do we? No. But what about this next list? Fears, including failure, feeling useless, rejected, abandoned, mediocre, timid, condemned. And I got a word here which I felt the Lord quickened to me earlier, disappointed. This is pride as well, unfortunately. We are very sympathetic, and rightly so, to people on the right, but not so much on the left. But we should be sympathetic to both, because both come from man. Both come from something other than God. And both can be rectified when God is involved in our lives. So you might be thinking, well, how on earth can you say that fear is pride? Where does fear come from? Does it come from God? No, so it can't be of God then, can it? So if it's not of God, it comes from me or from somebody else, and therefore that's the root of pride, because pride is independence of God. The same thing with feeling useless. God doesn't call you useless or rejected or abandoned or mediocre or timid or any of those other words. We think that about ourselves, and we trust our own opinion. That's pride. That's a revelation to me when I saw it. I tell you, it really changed my life when I saw that. Because I could no longer justify it. I could no longer say it's okay to be like that because everybody says they're there. They pray for me and they're nice to me and they're kind and they're empathetic and they get in the pit with me and they say they're there. They put a nice sticky plaster over me. We don't want to stay like that, do we? We want to be free. We want to be healed. We want to be whole. But if we just go on what other people's niceness says, and it's good to be nice, I'm not knocking that, by the way, but that's just the first port of call. We are to lift people out of the pit, having bound their wounds, having put the plasters on, having been empathetic, and so on, and take them to Jesus, who alone can set them free. Get them to get on that cross so that they can be lifted out into the next level. That's where we are to be. What about another one? Breaking out of the pride-based roadblocks of unbelief. If we choose not to forgive, sorry, I said unbelief, I meant unforgiveness, I beg your pardon. Let me read that title again. Breaking out of the pride-based roadblocks of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. 
You know, if we choose not to forgive, we become independent from God. We essentially detach ourselves from the vine's flow of life and our dependency upon its sap. Now, you know the story, the image that Jesus gives in John 15 about the vine and the branches. The branches could only bear fruit because they were part of the vine. And why was that? Because flowing through the vine was the vine's sap. And the sap was the essence of the life of the vine. The sap gave the fruit of the vine. Without the sap, there's no fruit. And eventually, there'd be no branches. So when we are connected to Jesus, we receive his sap. We receive his life. We receive the power of his blood. And we get set free. But if I detach myself from the vine because of unbelief, because of unforgiveness, because of fear, because of pride, then I stop bearing fruit. And God, who is the vine keeper in our story, Jesus' story, he prunes the branches. Are we willing to be pruned to allow these ugly things of pride which come from old kingdom, old creation, mindsets to be dealt with? We see we tap in otherwise if we don't tap in and depend upon the kingdom sap. We tap into another source as I've said, our own understanding, our own judgments, relying and trusting in our own thoughts and justifications, the essence of this is pride. And I read the other day that Robert Hagedom, I think I how you pronounce his surname, says that 90%, 90% of all problems are rooted in unforgiveness. Look at the torture that unforgiveness brings, and you may resonate with this today. Sorry, I got that one right. Unforgiveness is torture too. Wounds that won't heal. Anger that won't subside. Impoverishment that never ends. Paranoia that won't allow rest. Bitterness that won't go away. Wasted moments that won't return. Do you resonate with any of those? If you do, you need ministry. Because it's the second, the inner wounds that cause these things. And we're going to provide opportunities for such ministry to take place. You see, if we claim to be saved, we simply must make a choice to forgive everyone who has sinned against us, either deliberately or accidentally. To do otherwise would essentially prove that you're not a new creation. I know that sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? And I know what you're thinking if you're resonating with this right now. He doesn't know what it's like. He, he comes from a brethren background. He's never had what I've had. And I understand why I probably haven't. And I empathize as much as I possibly can with you. And I know it's tough. But if you can't forgive then you're in a very dangerous place. And you've got to repent. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.15, If you will not forgive others their sins, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your sins. And that's pretty strong, isn't it? Pretty black and white. So I hope you're trembling a little now if you've got unforgiveness in your heart. I'm not a sadist, honestly. 
But I am wanting you to get real. I want me to get real with this word today. If you've got unforgiveness, if you've got pride in your heart, I hope you're trembling. Because if there's anything in me, I hope I'm trembling too. Because I want God to deal with this stuff. I want those bombs to hit my target. I want to have those things destroyed out of me. I want the clouds that prevent God from targeting me to be blown away. Those, those clouds of unbelief, those clouds of excuses, those clouds of, of passivity. I want the, God, the Lord to blow them out of the way so we can target my heart and deal with those things. Otherwise, you cannot walk on this unknown path. And neither can I. This unknown path demands reality with God. Forgiveness is a choice. Like Jesus on the cross, we may still feel pain from our experiences, but we can still do what he did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even if love is completely absent, and a reconciliation never takes place, perhaps the person who wounded you is now dead. It can't take place. An act of truth-motivated forgiveness facilitated by a humble heart, can still send away the offense, cancel the debt, and grant freedom for the prisoner. I've come to the end of my talk. We've got five minutes left. I want these five minutes to count because I want us to seal something in the Spirit. I want you to promise God that before you leave these premises tomorrow afternoon, if you're conscious of anything that God has touched you this morning about, when it comes to limiting beliefs of pride or unforgiveness or fear or disappointments or excuses like that, reasons like that, which are very real and are very much uh, bringing you down, please seek help. Please get prayer. Please ask for ministry. I know the whole leadership team and Sue and I are available to you at any point. We'd much rather minister to you and play frisbee golf or go for a walk. We may do that and you may happen on the walk even. Because this is so much more important. This is the reality. This is the hub of the reason we are together. Is to go on to that next level. To go into that new era. To start treading on this unknown path. Are you willing to break out this morning so you can break through? Let's just come before God. If we can try and keep the distractions to our absolute minimum for the next few minutes, please, that would be great. Let's just come before the Lord.